One of the things I find most fun, mysterious, and magical about the world of food and drink is the impact of great design. Good design can make or break a business. It can inspire emotion. It can challenge you to try something new. It can even start to say something about you and your view of the world. And today's guest, Richard Taylor, with the agency he co-founded, Brandon, has been a custodian for some of the largest brands you'll see on UK supermarket shelves, from Napolina to Birdseye and Wagamama. I'm delighted to have this opportunity today to talk with Richard to find out more about his backstory, how he's grown Brandon into an agency that's been entrusted by these iconic brands, and his vision for the future. Okay, today I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Taylor, no relation. Uh, Richard is the co-founder and managing partner of Brandon. And Richard, I can I can guess at running an agency isn't a quiet job. So thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. How are you getting on? A pleasure. Uh, great. Yeah, just coming out of COVID and the um, summer madness. So getting back into the uh, real world and the, the, the hundred, I think I read yesterday it was 100 days to Christmas. So not long to go at all. Yeah, you you got the C word in there straight away. I think it's the first time I've heard it this year. Our, our first question to dive straight into it is: we ask each each guest whether they're born and bred in Greater Manchester. And I guess that's just a bit of an excuse for them to tell us a little bit more about themselves and their background so far away. Yeah, no, no. Um, um, I'm a I'm a bit of a nomad. Um, I was born in Sheffield. My mother at the time was living in the Middle East, but flew back um, to have me in Sheffield because she had ambitions of grandeur that I'd be. Um, playing cricket for Yorkshire and at the time that was one of the key rules to to get you into that ironically I never played cricket for Yorkshire although um, Michael Vaughan was um, at Sheffield Collegiate where I played tennis so I know sort of know of Michael as well Um, but no I grew I grew up in um, I grew up in the Middle East I was born in Sheffield pitched straight back out to um, Riyadh in Saudi Arabia grew up in the Middle East um, and then came back to the UK, did my studies in the UK, uh, been back out to the Middle East and then um, back to London. From there, uh, my wife and I met at an agency in Leeds many moons ago, but we were uh, we were looking to leave London and it was sort of, well, where are we going to go? We, we could go anywhere. We could go to Cornwall, we could go to, um, we could go to Leeds, uh, we could go to Sheffield, where I'm from, um, or we could go to Manchester. Um and at the time, I had a um, a bolt hole house in Halifax, um, sort of because it, I, through the through my journey, I'd worked in both Manchester and um, and Leeds, and it was just deciding on where we go and what we do next. And uh, uh, we we plumbed for moving to sort of outskirts of South Manchester in Cheshire, um, and it was an escape from London. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and a lot of my team at Brandon have sort of escaped from London back to the northwest, and we've managed to catch them on the way back up. Um, so yeah, so that was that's sort of a little bit of background about, um, I suppose, where Manchester's come into our lives. Mm. And and so you were you were in London, London, working in the the world of creative agencies. So stepping back a little bit, kind of, how did you find yourself in that? Uh, I mean, it's like you're meant to be a Yorkshire cricketer, but you you ended up being a um, a creative chat I, I i did the usual i went to newcastle university um i was in sheffield at the time and i went to newcastle university and didn't know what i wanted to do and, and for anybody who's thinking of studying or studied when you don't know what to do you do a general business management degree because you don't really know what you're doing um so i did I, I, yeah i did that and then <laughs> and then we uh through that process i just enjoyed the marketing aspect of it and i've always had you know i've lived in many cities around the world and i've, I've always sort of loved art loved fashion loved popular culture and um, so design was just a way that I sort of 
I fell into fell into that after um, after university, uh, and then I've gone into different agencies in Sheffield, started in Sheffield, in Leeds, in Manchester, through to the Middle East, and and back down into London. And um, when we were um, uh, when we were in London, we uh, my wife and I met in Leeds, and then we moved out to the Middle East, then back to London. We seemed to follow each other into each job role, which is weird. Um, but yeah, I, I was working at a business in London called Landor Associates which is part of, um, I think it's still the world's largest um, sort of advertising and commons group, WPP, and Lando was their biggest brand design group business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was working on a, a multinational clients like P&G, Coca-Cola, Nestle, uh, Molson Coors. Um, and we'd, um, we we just uh, needed to escape. We needed to set up, you know, we'd, we'd taken the decision. We, we'd had, I think it was five years in Dubai, then three years in London, and then we were... Decided in 2012, we wanted to set up on our own um, and we just wanted to escape London and we started the business as a, a lifestyle business and that's why we moved to the sort of leafy suburbs of Cheshire um, and <laughs> um, start having a family and, a, you know, start with a dog, then a family um, and it's just sort of grown and flourished from there um, and we've and we've moved, you know, we, we started um, originally uh, we were out in uh, Macclesfield, then we moved to Nutsford, and now the studio is based in Altrincham. So we sort of got closer and closer into the sort of city centre of Manchester. Well, that's, and that's interesting that you say that, um, so you wanted to set up on your own, but you, you're working in one of the big agencies in the world. I guess that, that feels like quite a big decision, although it sounds like you, like you say, you went into it with a, a vision to create a lifestyle type business, which is definitely not what Brandon is today um so so what was that journey to deciding to set out on your own and it, it sounded like you were going into it without a particularly grand vision of, of what that might become at that stage yeah i mean i was um so i was working on a global piece of business for coca-cola and nestle a, a nice tea brand called nestle so i was i was drained on that i'd been working on that for two years and and that basically means that my um, but my, my BlackBerry was sort of just literally pinging throughout whenever I was awake, whenever I was asleep, it was just mm. pinging. Um, and that was exhausting. So we just wanted to escape. And what we wanted to do was take the best parts of all of the agencies we've worked at, my wife and I, and, and group them together. So it was almost the, the strategic intent that you get from a WPP agency fused with the family feel of some of the other agencies we've worked at previously, um, which were smaller. And we wanted to make sure we could bring that. And we didn't see anyone doing a great job of having that experience and expertise and helping small small to medium-sized businesses Mm. and and we saw a gap in the market we just thought well there's an opportunity here to do something do something interesting um we were very lucky when we started out and i think i've got a a massive debt to pay to one of our clients it's still a client today but we had one founding client and um it was a Vleric business school in belgium um, which is a strange one but they were a client of mine um, through my time at Lando Associates in London, and um, when uh, when we're, Abby and I were um, moving back to the north and setting up, um, I just had a conversation and and with the marketing director and sort of explained what we were doing and um, and why we were doing it. And she said, "Well, can we continue to work with you? Because mm-hmm. um, we'd love to continue to work with you." So 
um, a few text conversations with the managing director at Landor Associates. Um, uh, we'd agreed to, you know, we'd agreed that that made common sense for for, for, the, for us as a business, and it was a nice send off. But in fairness to to her, it was a nice send off for us, um, and it, it gave us the confidence that we can do this. Mm. Um, and that was, uh, and that's when it, like I say, that was there wasn't any grand ambitions of grandeur or a five year plan like we've got now. It was more escape London, have dog, start family. <laughs> I like it, and then and is that that lent itself to to Greater Manchester by the by the sounds of things. Yeah, we were. Yeah, I think I think I think you know one of like I said, I think Manchester for me is the the sort of hub of creativity, and it's it's world renowned. It's not just renowned in the UK, um, but like I say, if you know if you talk to people around the world about Oasis, Manchester United, Manchester City now, um, it's known. It's a city. It's got its own brand. It's got its own persona. Um, and, and we felt that, that offered us the best opportunity um, to grow the business. There is a London stigma in our world where agency, or sorry, client partners often just get on, you know, get on the M6 or the M1 and go straight down to London. And we just wanted to challenge that perception. And um, and we've done that over the years with the client partners we've worked with and, and how we've grown as a business and where we are today. So I'm 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 proud of that. And it's and also you know. Our, our role now is very different to what it was. And I see us now of trying to help. And um, we do partner with quite a lot of the business, uh, the universities and design schools in the Northwest, trying to work with those. So UCLan, Staffordshire, Leeds, Blackpool's another one, um, partnering with these to try and find the best talent and ensure they don't just get um, excited by the bright lights, big city of London. And so, yeah, there's the, the, the remit of, of our business and what we do now has changed um, in terms of how we now focus on people and what we look to do and how we're looking to grow for the next five years. Brilliant, brilliant. And and I'm unfortunately or not, I'm I'm from that generation that's grown up watching Mad Men. You know, as an outsider, you see this the creative world as one that's full with kind of heavy drinking and partying and moments of creative inspiration drop from nowhere. But I, I get, I have a suspicion that. There's a lot more hard work and kind of strategic approach that's going on behind the scenes. So it'd be lovely to talk through an example of a, a big kind of client brief that you've taken on with the team at Brandon and how, you know, you take that through the process ready to pitch to client and through to delivery. The, the best way I can sort of answer that to start with is, you know, what do you tell people what you do? And, it's, you know, ultimately we're an ideas business. We're about helping business grow commercially by creating a brand strategy and then design strategy that articulates out of that. And then that turns into a visual language that brands can use to leverage growth. Um, ultimately, any creative, you know, this is where the challenge of the creative industry has, has, has fallen down for years. Um, it's it's when you look at CEOs and organizations, the majority of CEOs have come from a finance background. They're not marketeers. It's diff- I think that's changing. I think there's lots of great marketing businesses out there. Market- and, and lots more CEOs now coming from the marketing, uh, marketing realm. Um, but yeah, our our role in the world is to try and help deliver and drive commercial change, um, and it's mitigate. You know, marketing and design is mitigating risk. Really, it's about making it as more. You know, how can we be assured that what we're doing is the right thing to do? Whether it's a, a product proposition or a brand proposition taken to market. Um, but yeah, I mean, a great. A, 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 I suppose one great um, case study that comes to mind, and it's a it's a local business, is Amir Foods bought the um, license to uh, run Horlicks. Uh, in the UK and uh, and the reason it's uh, 
the reason it's an important one for me it's quite personal so my mum the proudest moment my mum has ever had in my life is when I told her we were doing the Horlicks packaging um, and it's really the visual identity for that brand was very much born from a, a language of the product intrinsic so you know malt, malt and what does it look like in a field and the sun's coming out and it was just a it's very old traditional way of looking at design um, and about I think it was about two or three years ago now we we ventured on a journey with them where we looked at the brand and tried to understand the audience. And they, you know, they've got an aging audience. My mum's 80, um, but she's probably one of the most loyal customers to that brand and has probably had it since she was 10 years old because she makes she believes it makes her go to sleep at night. But yeah, no, the uh Horlicks was a great one because that was around positioning uh, positioning the brand and moving the brand from around just sleep to relaxation. So um we looked at the brand and what you needed to do, looked at how we, we go through lens of audience, brand and, and context. So what does the, what does the people we're trying to speak to, what is it that they're doing in their shopping behaviour? What emotional, rational needs are missing? We look at the brand and where it's placed and what the opportunity for the brand to stretch or grow or develop. And in this case, it was recruiting a new audience into the brand. Because what we what we found through our insight phase is that Horlicks grandmas tend to give it to their daughters who are Horlicks mums who are the next generation we're trying to recruit and that they were going through adverse times. This is pre-COVID. They were going to adverse times where life's just never been as crazy being a mum and, you know, with the, the expectation of work and um, that's quite a hard, hard balance for a working mum to take. So we know that they were stressful and, and, and how could we sort of offer a moment of relaxation? Um, so we created a new visual identity system for them. We've got this beautiful graphic on pack, which is almost somebody walking. It's taking you to a moment, really. It's somebody walking along a stream and the, and the sort of the, the steam that comes off the off the packaging on the top of the cup is the is the stream that somebody's walking along or it's a pathway. Um, and that visual identity system that we've created for that brand has, has gone on to great results, huge results pre-COVID. And obviously it was going through the hoogie movement there at that time where everyone's, uh, we're looking to Scandinavia for relaxation. So we tapped into a cultural trend and then through COVID, <laughs> everyone's turned to that brand because they go, you know, looking to moments of relaxation and, and lots more opportunity for that as a product proposition as a brand proposition of how we can further grow that um which obviously i can't go into right now but there's lots of stuff happening there that's exciting which we'll see in the next couple of years yeah i i, I love it and i love that kind of inspiration point of relaxation because everyone knows that sleep is important but like you say life is life's going a million miles an hour these days isn't it and i registered a couple of years ago for the headspace app so kind of do a little bit of mindfulness and things like that and it's very topical isn't it it's part of that whole sphere of mental well-being and you're tapping into something a lot a lot bigger it feels like when 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 you shift the when you shift the focus that way yeah and i think you know i think consumer good brands have got a license to support in that mental well-being um we, we you know we didn't talk about mental well-being 12 24 months ago as we're doing now you know i think there's been a sort of great british spirit that we can't talk about you know that bulldog spirit we can't talk about that we're all fine we'll just brush it under the carpet and um, I think it's a great thing for I think it's a great thing for people in the UK now to to talk about mental well-being and it's good for brands like Horlicks to get involved in that. Um, and there's lots of you know lots of tie-ups with charities to support them because they've been hit. They've been you know from a funding point of view they've struggled really badly through COVID because of the not being able to run events like the London Marathon. So I think there's a general sense of consumer goods brands having a right and a role to play in helping. Now the only challenge and caveat I'll put to that is that. It can come across um, as a little, uh, a little bit fake because it's sort of well, we've, 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 you know, we've landed on Simon Sinek's why our purpose is going to be, 
and consumers are just like, oh, Christ, no, oh, no. Like, you don't have permission to do that. But so I think it has to be a sense of authenticity and a brand. Um, mm. A brand has to have a history or a pedigree that suggests they're playing in the right space. And I think Horlicks was a perfect example where it, it's been doing that for you know generations of mothers to turn into grandmothers now. So it, it does, for me, have a, a role to play in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and when you because I guess we're we're in this digital world now, and a lot of the work that you do at Brandon is is is, is packaging. It's kind of that structure that sits behind packaging as well, and the way something communicates. As an agency, people are off. They're taking photos of things. They're they're TikToking with products and brands and things like that. Like, does that start to factor into your thinking now, or how do you even start to factor into your thinking all these different channels and mediums through which brands are? Are being used and coming to life now when you're when no, you're trying to take something through a process like that yeah that's a really good question and i i i call as a brand identity company first and, and packaging design is one of the outputs and um, we create visual brand identities that transform business fortunes that's it and when i talked a little bit about mitigating risk earlier our role is to mitigate risk and um you know we have to create visual identity systems that can work in a physical space and a digital space if you go on tesco you know tesco.com now and and do your online shop we have to create mobile ready hero imagery that is relevant to you so you don't go and pick up the you know you pick, think you've picked up the 500 milliliter of coca-cola and you've actually picked up the one liter you know yeah. there's, there's a lot there's a, there's a lot more design going into um, what people are doing because the online habit is you know habitually we've become more focused on and through covid online shopping um, specifically with grocery shopping but yeah we've got to try and look at the physicality of the brand and how it plays um and the role it plays and i'm you know i we focus on what's happening in store quite a lot because obviously predominantly people are still shopping uh, their primary shop is in store um there is a there used to be a little bit um, more focus for people to, to do um, two or three shops during the week but we've actually as, as creature of habit we've returned to that big shop now and so when people return to sort of a big shop it's like they're shopping on autopilot they want to get out of there as quickly as possible especially with covid so the dwell times are fixed strong strong so you know, we've got to try and make these brands work on shelf, online. And, and then, like you say, across social channels, coming up with, you know, what, what's the core idea around this brand and how can this brand articulate that, not just visually, but through communication. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of work goes into it. And, and I guess switching subjects, like a lot of work goes into it. And the world of agencies, I think, is notoriously competitive and, and, and you're working with new clients all the time and I've always found like within our business the creative stuff is always the hard bit it's the bit that takes the most energy so how do you maybe not every single pitch lands or you know there's too much to do how do you kind of keep that energy going personally and and within the team um that's a really good question I I think variety is the spice of life um you know we've had quite a few people join us who've been in marketing roles in consumer goods businesses and they just love, you know, one day you're working on personal health care, the next day you're working on biscuits, the next day you're working on frozen fish. There's an oversupply in the UK of agencies, um, specifically in terms of what we do. Um, and so you get a varying standard of quality. Like I said earlier, we, you know, we 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 wanted to bring that sort of WPP top of you know top of the world experience to other other small to medium-sized enterprises. Um, so we do we have done that and focused on that, but um it's 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 not easy. I think, you know, the usual running rate for most agencies is you pitch for three things and you'll win one. Um, our pitch rate is two out of those three. It's getting closer to three, which is great. 
Um, but also, um, it depends on the size of the business and where you're at. Uh, it's difficult to say no. Um, and you can ask my sort of senior leadership team, Richard, you struggle to say no, because I'm excited by business. I'm excited by helping people grow. You know, I had an email in this morning asking for some help and support. And I said, look, it's just not one that we could help and support you. I know where you're at at your stage in your journey. So I passed them on to a really strong freelance designer that I know that can support them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's um, it's 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 a tough game. It's getting harder. Um, I think the other dynamic that's at play in our, in our space is time. Um, I remember when we used to have, when I started 20 years ago, we used to probably have three months to work on a project to get to concept. And now people are asking for it in two weeks. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where we're at danger of becoming a commodity. Uh, and that's where we push back, you know, we push back and challenge. Uh, and I think, you know, I suppose one of our values is about being frank and that comes from the Northwest spirit and, and perhaps a bit of a Yorkshire spirit from me as well. And, but we're just honest with client partners and, you know, we're, we're now starting to say no a lot more um, because we can. Um, we've got, we've, we've established a, a brand in the space and we're respected. And so we can turn more things down than we have to. Now, you know, I, I, I don't like to say no to anyone because I always see my role as helping people. So as I said earlier, if I, if I help someone, I'll always, sorry, if I say no, I'll always help them in a different way and say, look, I can point you in this direction, but it's not one for us. Um, so yeah, so it's, um, it's a very, very competitive market space at the moment. Um, there's also what's happened in our space is a lot of uh, businesses have taken design in house. Um, and that then means you've got, you know, they don't need design agencies as much. And that might be the model for moving forward um, for a lot of other people as well. But um, even with that, we work with a number of client partners that have got in-house capability, but they still ask us to come and, and work on certain projects. because so it's nice to keep things fresh and understand yeah. what ideas can transform business. And, and, and it sounds like you, in the story of Brandon, you're in this fortunate position now where you've built the the business to the point where you are, you are able to say no, and you're in a, in a bit more control. Was there, is there a turning point on that journey? Because you, we talked about it earlier in the conversation. You set out with without the five year plan. So, what was the tipping point where it? Because it's quite a big team. I think you've got now as well. So, what are yeah. the kind of big? What were the big tipping points? The big kind of client wins that that really kind of changed the the profile of the agency for you. It. It's sort of every year in our journey, we had a client, a landmark client that grew. And we, you know, McVitie's Cake Company in Halifax was one. Then it was Thornton's. Um, then it was Birdseye. Uh, more recently, it's probably been Napolina for Prince's Foods um, or, you know, Horlicks, which we just talked about. So each year, there's like one landmark case study that seems to take you to the next level. Um, we're doing more international work than we've ever done before. Um, the supply of good agencies in international markets, be it Europe, North America, Middle East, or Asia, great British design is still viewed as the best in the world, um, and specifically in the world of consumer goods. So, you know, we've been successful in, in stepping into those um, those markets and doing great work and delivering results for, for, for businesses, and that's the best way of putting it. The creativity that comes out of other countries just isn't as strong. Mm. Uh, the ideas aren't as strong and they don't transform business as well and so that's that served as well but yeah it's it's um it's new you, you face new challenges each week and it's getting tougher out there um that's just the, that's just competition how do you think about the future of brand and what are your kind of hopes for the company looking forward um our our growth plans now are, are, 
uh, to try and focus on doing some you know great work with the client partners that we're working with today we've got a focus on um, working with some more multinational brands um the experience that we've got within the business is is a multinational experience we've got people that have worked in other businesses either both client side and from agency side so we've got some really good strength in depth of working across markets understanding how a visual brand identity system can work because um, brands are brands are at different life cycles and different markets at different times so you know if i give you bird's eye as an example um, we know him as captain bird's eye but he's also known as captain findus and captain igloo in italy and germany um, and the way that he's perceived and, and behaves as a character as a distinctive brand asset differs by market fish by the seaside uh, like we have here fish and chips by the seaside which we sort of all associate you know for me it'd be blackpool popping over to there and that perception doesn't exist in italy it's a uk centric it does in north germany towards the coast but it's not the same as we have in the uk so you have to try and then get into the cultural psyche of each of the regions to understand the growth opportunity and where that brand is and what you can do with it with a homogenized identity that sort of isn't just all about consistency but it's more about coherency um so there there there's some big international challenges that brands need you know brands and businesses like nomad foods need to to play into that your day-to-day joe on the street wouldn't really understand that complexity of how we manage brand portfolios in different parts of the world and 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 being able to kind of cater for those kind of clients taking those kind of challenges that does that mean bigger team bigger premises kind of bigger ambitions or is it about saying no more and being even more selective about the work it's definitely about growing the business to a certain size and scale Um, we're at 30 people at the moment and in the next um, four years we'll probably be growing to 50 people Um, with that uh, we do, like I say, we do. Um, we're working with a number of multinational companies now, and multinational companies speak to us quite a lot more than they have done in the in the past because our brand profile is stronger than it's ever been. Um, so yeah, there's, there's there's definitely an ambition to to continue doing what we're doing and grow business, grow you know grow business through brand, mitigate risk, and and you know see how we can venture into more international programs um, and you know international brands uh, yeah through and, and you know cross strategy design and innovation they're the three areas of, of, of our business as disciplines of what we do um, so there's this you know sometimes a project comes in and it's just it, it doesn't you know uh, doesn't ever go into packaging design it's actually about the brand strategy and where the brand needs to move and how the brand needs to evolve um, so that's becoming more of a discipline than we've seen before mm. so, um, and npd innovation we do quite a lot in terms of helping brands understand strategy and innovation uh, from strategy through to innovation and then what's the MPD, the new product development they're going to bring to market. Um, and that's becoming more of a uh, uh, more and more prevalent now. During COVID, NPD stopped because everyone was just couldn't find product. And you know this yourself probably from your own business. And it was more about let's just, you know, let's just retrench and then we'll grow again with NPD innovation. And NPD is all about mitigating risk again so it's bringing products to market that people want in their lives and that's that's something we're focused on so strategy and npd are two tenants that we're really um are seeing great success with and i guess to to, to finish in terms of the brand and story because it you know it it sounds like an incredible journey in terms of the, like you said the year on year the bigger wins the rising profile of the business adding adding key people into the team but if you think back to the the richard that set out just to escape London and get a dog and start a family and and um Brandon was the kind of the input to that to that process. Is has the experience of running your own agency been as you expected? Is it is it harder, is it easier, has it changed you? Um 
I think the first few years are really hard. Um, and I'll give you an example. It just makes me smile now. Um, when we started working with one of the companies, I, at the time, and, and, and most businesses do this, you sort of suggest you're bigger than you are. And and the, I won't name the client partner, but they thought we were 10 people at the time. Um, and it was just my wife and I. <laughs> and um, we we had one of our friends in the Middle East um, was getting married in Canada, <laughs> so we had to take um, we had to take uh, well we didn't have to take two weeks but we did we took two weeks off so we were we literally flew to Canada for the wedding and then we flew to the West Coast and we did a um, Pacific Highway drive from San Francisco down to Los Angeles um, and we were just had to manage the time zones we had to work throughout all of that managing time zones pretending that we were you know in Manchester (laughs) and so um, looking back on it it was slightly crazy so through that first few years you you know you you've got to graft and graft and graft and graft and graft because you've got to establish your name but we always had a belief in that there wasn't anybody offering the strategy the design and the client service that we were in a friendly way. And I think we always felt that was a gap in the market. And I still believe that holds true today. I think there's others that do a good job, but I still think that's what we do really well. Um, so yeah, it gets easier, mm-hmm. but I'd say the first five years was, was I wouldn't say hard, because I think that that suggests it's like, um, it's, unenjo- it's not enjoyable. I yeah. think it's always enjoyable. It's always exciting. And, uh, you know, in those fledging fledging years are what you look back on and smile about because, you know, and we've got people here that have stayed here with us through those and they go, God, Rich, you remember when we were just five in Macclesfield? And you look and yesterday we had a, a, a sort of a coming together of the whole team in the studio for the first time. Um, and, and you just, we've recruited about six people, I think, during COVID. Um, so everyone came in the studio yesterday and it's like, wow, okay, all right, okay, this is how big we are now. And you, you can see it commercially from the numbers, but you can't see it from the people because nobody's been together in the same space. So, yeah, I think the first few years are, uh, are just where you uh, you just get through. You look for opportunity, you find opportunity and you grow. Um, it, I, I always go back to the fact if you've got a clear proposition about what you are, who you are, and where you want to go, you've got a better chance of success. It's like, you know, if you've not got a map in front of you, where are you going to go? Um, and, and in our space, I think it's um, a lot of design-led businesses are created by creatives. Yeah. And creatives sometimes don't think in as logical a way as you'd hope. And so they don't have that clarity of where they need to go. And until they bring an MD in or they bring a non-exec in to give them guidance, they often just do a bit of everything. Yeah. And, they, and, and, they, and they end up as lifestyle businesses. There's nothing wrong with that. You can have a lifestyle business, you know, until you retire. Um, and there's a lot of that that happens in our world. But I think there's there's few, and that's the opportunity for us, I suppose, there's, there's, there's few that have a specific focus and growth plan and where they're looking to drive um, drive the business in the next five years. Yeah. No, it's a wicked insight, I think, isn't it? <laughs> particularly in a, in a creative industry that, that, that building a business isn't always a creative process in itself that that there's that logic and that kind of fixed vision of of what you're trying to build that that needs to support it as well. You know, look at the best creative businesses out there and they've always had good people to lead and run the business alongside a creative genius or brain that's just, you know, outstanding. And I think you've got to have a combination of both to to grow in some ways. You know, my my wife was a creative and I was what you classify as the suit or the salesman. Um, uh, And we've always sort of, done well from that 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 sort of journey between the two of us we like to finish by talking a little bit more about being a business in in greater (laughs) manchester um and and what it means to people so 
Is there anything for you that really stands out about the experience of starting and running and growing Brandon in a place like Greater Manchester and what's made it kind of special to you in the business and the journey? We like we were leaving London and we had a choice of we could go anywhere in the UK. Um, and Manchester was just a beacon, a shining beacon of light. And I think that I've always respected it from the sport, the popular culture with the music and the art and design has always been prevalent in Manchester. Um, and so Manchester was just the, the logical choice. And especially when, you know, maybe at that time we didn't think about it, but when we start speaking to international client partners, if I mentioned some of the other cities, sort of regional cities, people wouldn't um, wouldn't know them as well as they are Manchester. And perhaps that's, perhaps that's the football connection with Manchester United and Manchester City. But Manchester as a brand is globally renowned um, and it fights well against, you know, the, the London, which is the, you know, the capital of creativity in most people's eyes. So um, it, it was the logical choice at the time and on reflection it was the right decision yeah I, I love that within your answer you talked about Manchester as a brand as well as a uh... well it, every city is a brand fighting for investment yeah you know? yeah especially with what's happened with the EU now and uh, the inward investment's not coming in anymore you know that everybody fights as a brand to, for, for you know you, you're fighting for tourism and fighting for people to come to you you know talk to people in Dubai I've talked to people in Sydney I've talked to people in Chicago and they all know Manchester. And maybe it is a sport connection with Manchester United because it's a global brand or Manchester City these days as well. And one of the last three questions we like to ask people is if they could magically click their fingers and, and add one additional aspect to Greater Manchester that the city in the area might be lacking <laughs> from, from weather to funding to tech, is it anything that, that you think brand Greater Manchester's missing that you you'd like to add into the mix yeah yeah i mean uh well there's, there's two things i'll go i'll go to the obvious one second because i think everyone else said it and i think the main thing that i um that we find the hardest is is um is the talent of people um when we worked in london uh, my wife and i we worked in offices of 100 plus people and within them there'd be 20 or 30 people from the northwest mm. and i on reflection, I find that quite sad now. And <laughs> yeah. um, one of our key focuses is to try and make sure we can retain talent in the Northwest and not let them always fly down to London. And to do that, we need Northwest businesses as well to support the Northwest. Um, one of my big bugbears is Northwest businesses who continue to go to London because they see it as the sort of shining light of gold. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, there's great there's great agencies in London that do what we do. I get that. But equally, we transform business fortunes through brand identity. Um, so the, the biggest the biggest piece for me at the moment, and it's is the talent is the talent shortfall we have in the northwest. In terms of in Manchester, the agencies that do what we do, there's probably uh, there's probably three of us of, of our size, and we're all fighting for talent at the moment and trying to get there. And it's uh, and it's not just actually it's not just a uh, northwest challenge at the moment. I was speaking to two WPP people last week in London, and they um, who had businesses up down there, and they both said. It's not just it's not just you. We're struggling for talent at the moment. So, um, but there is a general bugbear of mine of of the business of the um, design schools in the northwest trying to get people to stay in the northwest. That's a perennial challenge. And then the other one, the second one that's dead easy, is just weather. <laughs> <laughs> I spent most of my life in the Middle East, I think, um, during my formative years. So I just like a little bit more sunshine. I love that first point that you made because I think. You know, the hypothesis for, for wanting to do this podcast, I think, is that I think Greater Manchester is the best place in the UK, in, in Europe, maybe the world, to be starting or running a business when you look at all aspects of, you know, the market, the opportunity. But just 
affordability, you know, the ability to kind of buy a home, have a garden, you know, to do that sooner in life than you might you might have to in London. And I think I think, you know, you took that journey of spending time in London and escaping and and and, and heading to the northwest. And uh, you know, I think I think over time, hopefully, there'll be there'll be a gradual recognition that that you don't need to head to London and and maybe maybe COVID plays a factor in that and remote working and the way that people's attitude to home life and how they balance that with with work life might might start to change these things over the next kind of five, yeah, 10, 20 years can, as well. I can name three people now um, who work for multinational businesses in London um, and they've all got jobs during COVID and they all live in Manchester. Yeah. Uh, and we've also got another... A client partner who um, is a London-based business, um, but he's moving to Manchester. You know, so that 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 whole um, location um, challenge isn't as much isn't as prevalent as it once was, especially with flexible working. I mean, we uh, we've got people in Liverpool, we've got people in Leeds, we've got people in Hull, in Bristol, in the Malvern Hills, in Essex. You know, we've got people all over the UK now because. Why, you know, why not? And, and with the talent shortage we've got in the northwest, it made sense just to open it up. We just look for the best people for that fit our role and fit our our brand and brand in terms of what we're trying to achieve and, and where they can help us go and grow. And the last question is um, an opportunity to give a shout out to your three your three favourite businesses based in the area from any sector you wish. It's almost the uh, I, I've got to nod my hat to this, the, the two football clubs in the again, and I've talked about them again because they they've put Manchester on a map in a way, as well as the bands. So I'd say sport would be that, culture would be you know the likes of you know Stone Roses, Three to Aces, Three to Smiths, New Order, Happy Mondays. Um, they've all done a great job. At, so it's sort of from, from from music and sport, I'd say those two, and then the third one for me, I don't know if everybody knows about the business, but um, the Hook Group. Um, Hook Group is a, is, a, is a great business um, in Manchester. They have a lot of a lot of brands. My Protein, for example, is one. They own a number of hotels and um, they own Hale Country Club. But they've they've just grown and they've invested in Manchester. They could have gone somewhere else, but they've invested in Manchester. They've got buildings popping up left, right, and centre at Manchester Airport. And I just smile because I think it doesn't always have to be, and I'm not just, I'm not pointing a finger at London here and digging them, but it doesn't always have to be, you know, in Silicon Valley or in anywhere else. There's good businesses can pop up anywhere with great ideas and, and good people behind them. So whenever I drive, you know, I drive that way on the way home and I just look at them and see these new buildings popping up and just go and nod my hat, don my cap, don my flat cap at them and just go, well done, well done, yeah. chaps. Yeah. yeah, so that's a that's a specific business that I just look at and go, they've done amazing things. Yeah, yeah, and they, and it's a that's a proper global profile business that's like you say, reinvesting its growth in 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 the area in Greater Manchester. It feels like so it's it, it's exciting that that has a that has a halo effect for everyone else. I think when you look at what can be achieved. Yeah, I think so, and you you know. I, I, if you look at it as well in another way, you know, um, the BBC in, in Salford has been great for for, for, for us as a, as a city. If you look at Channel 4, they've just gone into to Leeds and that'll do great things for Leeds. And we need more, you know, we need more beacon support from business in the South, you know, in the South and from London specifically. They need to look to invest in Hopefully it's all done for the right reasons, but um, there's, there's there's great talent. And if these businesses, you know, open hubs in these regions, we'll only see greatness coming out of them to the rest of the region and the halo effect. So, you know, more of that. And I'll be, I'm, I'll be you know, delighted to see more of that. 
Cool. Lots of reasons to be excited. Well, look, I think it's about time we wrapped up. I'm sure you've got uh, another appointment to head off to. So thank you so much for your time, Richard. I think, um, you know, I I always enjoy getting an insight behind what goes on at Creative Agency. So I hope anyone listening to this has enjoyed a bit of a kind of peek behind the curtain of of what's happened. And obviously it's it's a brilliant story, Brandon, and and the the direction that you've taken that business on and the growth of the business over the last 10 years. So um thanks for sharing it with us. If we can just end on giving people a point on where they can go to to follow you, to follow the agency and some of the work that you're producing. Yeah, so um, uh, brandon-consultants.com. Um, I think if you put Brandon Consultants in the your usual search engines and socials, um, I think we're on sort of every one of those as well. So you should be able to find us, um, find us out, find us out there. Uh, another one is probably just my own LinkedIn. I do a daily post on LinkedIn about design and the power of design in business. So a lot of people tend to enjoy that. I seem to get over 100,000 views of that every day. Um, so, yeah, if people um, want to follow me, Richard Taylor, um, probably loads of Richard Taylor, so you might have to put Richard Taylor, Brandon, hopefully might shorten it. Um, that might make life a little bit easier. But, yeah, thanks ever so much for the chat. Really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks for your time, Richard. Take care. Take care. Bye. Greater Manchester Business Stories is produced and presented by Joe Taylor of Real Handful. The special guest was Richard Taylor of Brandon. You can find out more about Real Handful by visiting realhandful.com and you can see more from Brandon at brandon-consultants.com. Audio production was by me, Andy Blackaby-Isles.